We're looking at Revelation 14 this morning. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Revelation 14 seems like we're getting through the book fairly quickly now. So, uh, you know, a chapter a week, we could be done by the end of the year. <clears throat> um, last week, uh, when we looked at chapter 13, uh, we saw that the dragon... Uh, is is looking to make it easy on us to buy what he's selling. Uh, he's he's looking to make it easy on us to embrace his counterfeits to Christ's ki- kingdom, to embrace or else, <laughs> it's kind of the ultimatum, uh, to become sellouts, really, in ways that uh, mark us as belonging to the dragon rather than to Christ, as being more interested in self-preservation than in faithfulness to Christ. <clears throat> uh, and it was a call... Last week in chapter 13, uh, it says in verse 10, it was a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So in the last couple of chapters of Revelation, Jesus has been exposing the enemy's strategies, his main strategies, uh, largely because it's easy for us to be deceived and to be taken by those strategies. But in chapter 14, uh, which we're looking at this morning, Jesus is continuing, he's continuing to reveal the way that things really are in our spiritual battle. Uh, but maybe we could think of it um, in terms of a slightly different reason. Uh, maybe not so much because it's easy to be deceived, but because it's easy to be demoralized. It's easy to be deflated or to feel that we've been defeated. Uh, the good news is that this is how the kingdom of God works. This is the good news that we find in, in this chapter. This is how the kingdom of God works. With Christ, what might seem like apparent defeat is really it's actually victory. With Christ, what might seem like apparent defeat is really the victory. That's not natural to believe. It's counterintuitive, which is why it has to be revealed to us. Why we've got the scriptures like this, and why we've got to endure and persevere in believing it. Because it is difficult to believe. So, that's what we'll talk about this morning. Uh, Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, every letter of your word down to the last letter, is true, and it's all meant for our good. So we pray, as we come to this word this morning, that you would grant us your Spirit's help to believe it and to hold fast to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people, And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. 
Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle, and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God, and the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, which is about 200 miles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, um, a lot of strange stuff going on there. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Revelation this year, and let's think about that word, uh, Revelation. Let's think about that word revelation a bit more broadly for a minute, more than just the title of this particular book. All the scriptures are revelation. The whole Bible is God's revelation to us. In the Bible, God is he's revealing, he's disclosing, he's unveiling what we would not otherwise perceive or understand for ourselves apart from God making it explicitly known to us. That's sort of what revelation means. In some ways, uh, we use the word revelation to describe what's actually happening in times like, like this, like what we've been facing this year when, uh, when suffering and conflict sort of reveal the true nature of people, right? When people lose their self-restraint, when people become uh, frayed around the edges, or when tempers flare, then it becomes visible. It, it's revealed for all to see how selfish or angry or fearful uh, people really are. What's, what's true on the inside is revealed when it becomes visible on the outside, right? Well, I think uh, we can look at God's revelation from a bit of a different angle than that here this morning. It, it makes reality known to us, right? It makes the, the way things really are known to us. But with God's revelation, it's usually a reality that remains invisible. It remains unseen. It's an unseen reality that we've got to take on faith hearing it from God's word. 
So just observing a situation will not necessarily lead to this kind of revelation. As long as you might look, you might never see what's really happening behind the scenes, like what uh, God is revealing here. But God's revelation helps us to interpret the things that we're seeing in ways that we probably never would apart from his revelation. And the greatest example of this in all of God's revelation is at the cross. Because when you see Jesus at the cross, what do you see? You see a man dying. And that's all. That's all you see. Apart from God's revelation, you don't know who this man really is. You don't know the purpose of his death, or the meaning of his death, or the value of his death. You don't know that his death is good or helpful or anything. You don't see the love of God in it. You don't see the justice of God in it. You don't know that Jesus on the cross is good news. When you look and you perceive with your earthly senses, all you see is a man dying. Apart from God's revelation, you just see a man dying, and you're probably prone to interpret it as a bad thing. As if this man on the cross were just a failure or that God was condemning him for who he, he was or what he had done. Or maybe it's just another senseless tragedy that goes to show that all reality is ultimately meaningless. Apart from God's revelation, you're prone to interpret the man dying on the cross wrongly. You look at the circumstances and you don't see what's really happening. And you would never arrive at the true interpretation of the cross apart from God's revelation. We need God's revelation. We need it. In light of God's revelation, you look at the man dying on the cross and you can say, this was the Son of God in the flesh laying down his life for the forgiveness of sins. He's the innocent one suffering the condemnation that we deserve, suffering it in our place, dying in order to reconcile us to God and to grant us eternal life. You know that because of God's revelation. In light of God's revelation and only in light of God's revelation, we can see that the man dying on the cross... Um, means our salvation, that it's good news and it's worthy of our song. God's revelation interprets the event for us so that what appears to be a senseless tragedy really is shown to be the wonderfully orchestrated plan of God. So that what appears to be defeat really is shown to be the victory of our Savior. And that revelation... That interpretation of the cross that's given to us by God, that's something that you have to believe. That's something that you have to hold on to because with our earthly senses, we perceive only a man dying. We perceive only the visible event and not the invisible realities behind it. So, so let's bring that consideration of, of revelation, that, that understanding of that word, revelation, back to the book of Revelation, back to our current chapter. The early church was arriving at a point in history when persecutions from the Jews and the Romans were growing fearfully and rapidly. And what they saw with their eyes was their brothers and sisters in the church being falsely accused and slandered and mocked. The brothers and sisters in the church being run out of the synagogues that they had grown up in, if they were Jewish believers, or run out of town, or being attacked by mobs, beaten and left for dead being crippled economically, sometimes being dragged into unjust courts, being beheaded 
and thrown to the lions and sawn in two and burned and crucified. That's what they saw. And that's all for claiming Jesus as Lord and Savior and for celebrating and sharing the forgiveness of sins in his name. And this was happening in more and more places to increasing numbers of believers. And that's what they saw. And on the other hand, those who had sold out, who had capitulated to the pressures, they seemed to be doing okay. The Romans would leave you alone if you just acted like everybody else. And the Jews wouldn't give you any trouble if you just stopped talking about Jesus. So what you could perceive with your earthly senses was that an interest in Jesus and identifying with him and trusting him and belonging to Jesus and following Jesus was rewarded with ridicule, rejection, suffering, and death. What do you make of that? It was obvious that you could find tangible peace and relief and rest in the broader culture by distancing yourself from Jesus. So what do you make of that? I mean, it looked like the enemy was winning and that this small thing called the church would soon be gone because the faithful ones were being killed and the sellouts were leaving. And the church was prone to interpret these circumstances wrongly. And if the church was going to endure in faith, they would need then this bigger perspective on this whole thing. It would take God's revelation to offer any different interpretation of what they were seeing in their lives and in the lives of their brothers and sisters in the church, to help them believe that following Jesus wasn't just a dead-end pursuit. So John receives this vision of all those believers who are dying from persecution, and he sees that really they are faithful witnesses standing with Christ in victory. That's what's really happening when their brothers and sisters in the church were dying from persecution. The The number 144,000 is symbolic, of course. Um, There are some groups uh, throughout history and and alive today uh, who think that that's a literal number. It's it's symbolic. Uh, The number number 12 represents the people of God, and 144,000 is 12 times 12 times 1,000. So it's, it's this vast army of God's chosen people. And these are just the beginning, right? It says in verse 4, they're the first fruits of the redeemed. So in the historical context of the book of Revelation, these were the early believers, perhaps even uh, predominantly Jewish believers, actually, who they identified with Jesus. They had his name and his father's name on their heads. Basically, that, that's a symbol of uh, the, the fact that they're baptized into the name of the triune God. And this is in contrast with what we saw just before at the end of chapter 13 with the sellouts who had a different kind of mark on their forehead, uh, who identified with the dragon and the mark of the beasts, right? The sellouts. And um, so the 144,000 received the good mark. They received the good mark of truly belonging to the lamb. They're then faithful to the lamb. And that's signified by their being um, what it's it's called undefiled and uh, virgins, right? It isn't that they were all unmarried or literally virgins, as if true believers are the best believers, they only took vows of celibacy. That's not what this is about. It's symbolic of their being spiritually faithful. In contrast with the spiritual adultery of the harlot uh, Babylon, which we see in, in verse 8, and who comes into view more throughout, throughout the following chapters. We'll talk about that later. But they, 
these 144,000 uh, of spiritually faithful, they also bore true witness to the Lamb. It says in verse 5, in their mouth no lie was found, for they're blameless. Right? So they proclaim the gospel, and they sing praises to the Lamb, and they sing songs of redemption and salvation as only those can who know Jesus personally, who have a real relationship with him, who really are saved by him. <clears throat> and they're not fair-weather Christians. It says in verse 4, It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Wherever he goes. And where has the Lamb led them? Where has the Lamb gone before them? Right into ridicule, rejection, suffering, and death. Right into that place that, that looks from the outside like a meaningless, tragic, dead end. If you follow Jesus... That's where he's gone, and that's where you're going. If you follow the Lamb, and he's gone through the wilderness, he's gone outside the city, he's gone into the wine press of God's wrath, and he's gone up onto the cross, then you're going those places too. If you follow the Lamb, that's where you're going. Apart from God's revelation, you're just prone to interpret that wrongly. What do you make of that? that the Lamb would lead you into places like that. But we have the revelation of God here that says, this really is victory. This really is good news for you because it marks you as belonging to the Lamb. And he's the Lamb who is standing as if slain, right? Uh, Talking about his resurrection in glory. And you also will stand with him where he is on Mount Zion, the holy mountain of the Lord. So Peter Lightheart says, what looks like persecution in Jerusalem and Asia, what we've seen in uh, chapter 13 especially, and resulting in these 144,000 martyrs, what looks like persecution looks like harvest from the heights of heaven. Viewing the harvest from earth, you would see Jewish Christians tried, tortured, and killed. Revelation unveils the same event from heaven, and it looks like self-sacrifice and a harvest of the spiritually pure. Viewed from heaven, martyrdom is not trampling and defeat, but harvest time, the gathering of good things of the land so that God can make his bread and wine. So that's the point of the last two paragraphs of this chapter. The people of God had been sown and planted and grown like a good crop, and now they bore fruit, the first fruits of the harvest of all God's people. So harvest, harvest is a good time. You go anywhere in the world where there's a harvest season, and it's a time for satisfaction, it's a time for celebration, it's a time to enjoy the fruits of your labors. What you would have seen with your eyes would have been the multiplications of sorrows beheadings and lions and fires and crosses and Christians being mown down. But really it was the Son of Man harvesting his crops, which is a time of fullness and rejoicing. It says in Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So this is the good news. This is the gospel of the harvest 
the Lord Jesus is able to put his seal on his people. He's able to mark his people as his own. He's able to purify a bride for himself. He's able to win sinners to himself. He's able even to make us to some degree faithful to him. His love enables us to follow him wherever he goes. And when he brings us home to himself, he's bringing us into glory in his presence. So if we follow the lamb wherever he goes, it means through death. But then it means beyond the reach of death. It means to stand with him in a resurrection life like his, in a glory like his. If we follow the lamb wherever he goes, one day we'll hear him say, uh, as he says in a parable in Matthew 25, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So if we follow the lamb into ridicule or rejection or any manner of suffering, if we follow the lamb, it isn't a failure. It isn't a defeat at the hands of the enemy. You can't interpret suffering that way if you're following the lamb following the lamb and receiving what he received is as far from a senseless tragedy as his own death was. It's an unimaginable privilege that God has granted to us to follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's God's interpretation, according to God's revelation. If you don't believe it, then you're stuck with what you can see. Namely, injustice, evil, and despair. The land flowing with blood for 200 miles. So much blood, that can't be good. But here's the way things really are, according to God's revelation. When the bloodthirsty enemies of Christ and his people are wading hip-deep in Christ's blood and in our blood, God says they will drink symbolically. This is all symbolic, right? Uh, they'll drink the cup of God's wrath, which is our blood. Jesus' blood poured out on the cross, it meant both salvation and judgment. It had a lot of meaning. Our blood poured out by our persecutors here, it'll mean something too. It'll mean something similar. It'll mean their defeat, not our defeat. The shedding of our blood does not mean our defeat. It's called an eternal gospel. It's called good news that the hour of God's judgment has come. And he's not talking just about the hour of Christ's judgment on the cross. He's talking about the hour when we follow Christ into sufferings like his. When we follow the Lamb wherever he goes. At that moment, God will judge his people faithful in Christ, only because of Christ, only through faith in Christ, and our relationship with him. And he will judge the sellouts and the persecutors as worthy of his wrath. At the moment of our apparent defeat, the kingdom of God has the victory. It might seem like like they've got the upper hand while they're watching us burn, but really, they will be tormented with fire and sulfur, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. It might seem like they've found rest when we suffer the restlessness of the tribulations of this world and can find no rest in this world. But really, it says there will be no rest for them. While, on the other hand, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed that they may rest from their labors. 
This is the good news that's revealed to you who belong to Jesus. It's because of our association with Jesus, because of the relationship the Lamb uh, has with, uh, with his people, our relationship with the Lamb who was slain as we follow him wherever he goes, we receive whatever he received, and we will stand with him. You're going to need to hold on to that. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, help us to believe that with you, apparent defeat is really our victory. We're tested in, in many ways, and we're tempted to despair when we look out upon the circumstances of our life and the world with earthly eyes. But we belong to you, and you belong to us. You have revealed this to be the great reality that stands over us. So we pray that you would please assure us of this in ways that encourage us and embolden us to endure in spiritual faithfulness to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.